Okay, so hello everybody and welcome to the Hunger for the Hustle podcast. This is episode 135 and we are in New York City and opposite me right now is a girl that up until two days, three days ago, uh, we went to high school together, Arthur Ter- from Arthur Terry to NYC, here we are, Jess Ica with a K, it is an absolute pleasure to have you sat in front of me and a pleasure to have you on the show, welcome along. Thank you, I'm so happy, I'm so happy we're doing this Jake. I'm so happy we're doing years. this. Like I said to you just before off camera, the second I saw you and knew what you were up to, I was like, I'm going to get Jess on my podcast. Oh. It's just a matter of time. And um, we kind of were back and forth. I was in Nashville. We missed mm. each other a few times passing ships there. But not that matters because now, here we are. Here we are. And in this fantastic studio with these fantastic gentlemen who have just yes. set it up for us. Appreciate those guys. Me too. Um, and everything always works out exactly as it's meant to we're great students and proponents of that we'll get into that a little bit later but let's start the start because it's always the best place to start and and build the story that i want to create with this hour that we have here when did you start singing and how did that look what age were you i was 16 years old and you remember at school like i was probably I started singing at about 14 and then at 16 I had my first gig in Pizza Express and Sutton Coldfield. You know the place, right? I know it well. You Still there. Well. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, yeah. I know the person who started Pizza Express. Actually, really? The whole thing. Yeah. I love Pizza Express. Not a lot anymore, but pizza. Cool. I love that place. So we went, I went in, I was like 16 years old and um, I remember I walked in with like a tiny little tape player and I asked the manager if I could do an audition in there and I sang two, I did like, I loved jazz, just loved jazz growing up. And I said, I wanna sing two jazz numbers for you. And uh, I sang one lunchtime in front of the whole of the restaurant and she gave me the gig and I was making, I think I got like 60 quid a night, twice a week. Wow. And, yeah, and- um, But you were, you were 16 at this point? 16 years old, yeah. That's 16. Yeah, yeah, it's like 60 quid a night, would go in and I'd get a free pizza. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, that's worth 60 quid by exactly. itself. Right, so. <laughs> and a free dessert as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd go in and, um, and I would do these jazz nights there. And that's how it all started. That was mm-hmm. my first gig and that's where it all began. There was another spot though that I had, funnily enough, found out the other day, my first ever job as a, as a pot wash in the kitchen. And, yeah. But you, you used to play there, which yeah. was... Pier 39. Pier 39 as well. And it was a similar thing there. It was a a jazz kind of thing. Yeah, it was the same set, yeah. It's the same set. And I'd just go in and um, I'd just do like an hour or two of jazz. Yeah, just in the corner. Yeah, covers. Yeah, yeah. And it was was great. So I would just go from Pizza Express to Pier 39. I did the Bel Air nightclub at the Belfry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they knocked that down. That's gone. The Bel Air? Yeah, they knocked it down. Oh, really? I didn't actually know that. Yeah, recent thing this summer. So, and has it always been a vocals thing for you or has it always been, um, and we've got to be careful of that a lot because we, you know, there's a podcast about you and what you do. We could easily go into the history of certain Coalfield. That's a different podcast. <laughs> um, but was it always vocals for you or do you play music as well? I've always, for me, it's always been about the vocals, but about the writing. Yeah. It's always come, everything kind of comes back to the writing, really into the songs. Um, I would say I started writing when I was doing those gigs when I was 16, but it's funny now when I look back to the songs I was writing then and to the songs I'm writing now, 
the you know, themes change <laughs> yeah. and subjects change. I remember I was I was 16 and I wrote my first ever song I wrote was a song called Rainbows, Summer, Love Song, all these happy songs. And now, a few years later, <laughs> it's songs like Sober, Monsters, <laughs> <laughs> Bedtime Story. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it things take a you know, it's you just you as we mature we get different themes. So it's it was always about the songwriting, but um it's funny just looking back now I'm not really writing songs about summer or sunshine or rainbows anymore well I think the thing is and that's great in a way because you've kept it authentic you're writing about you yeah. you're writing about your life and if you were still writing the same songs that you were writing when you were 16 yeah, you probably wouldn't be where you are now you know Thanks, so I think yeah. there's, there's something to be said for that at what point did you realize you know you're 16 17 there what point did you think I actually want to make this a career. I want to make this something I do for the rest of my life. I think it's when I went to college. So me and my family moved down to Cornwall mm -hmm. from Sutton Coldfield and uh, went down to college and I, start, I started college and I dropped out and then I dropped out of college again twice. And I was like, and the, the head teacher actually of the school, the college that I went to down in Cornwall called me in and he was like, you know, Jessica, I feel like you have to make a decision because I was doing all these gigs. I started doing all these these gigs at Pizza Expresses and we were traveling around and me and my dad, my dad was working with me. Like he would drive me around. It, it went from, we'd drive around the whole of England just doing these gigs and I couldn't do college and these, these gigs that we were doing. We were having so much fun, me and my dad doing this. It was amazing. So I think I had to make a decision. I was about 17 and I went, I choose music. That's what I'm going to do. And then I moved to London to pursue it. And, um, what age were you when you moved to London? 17? I was 17, uh, no, sorry, I was 18, yep. 18, 19, I think. Um, I got this like tiny little place in Soho on Denmark Street, the most famous music street in England, in London. And I will never forget it. I moved in and it was, it was this, I moved into this, it was just a, the apartment was like, there was like mice running around everywhere. There was oh, rats lovely. in there. It was Oof. terrible. But honestly, the music I wrote in that part, <laughs> I was just absolutely loving it. And I think at that age as well, you're pretty fearless. Yeah. It was terrible. It was a terrible situation. I remember thinking, oh my God, goodness, like, what, what is this? And, um, and it was, but it was great. I wrote music. And uh, from there, I went and got my first gig at Ronnie Scott's in London. Just walked in. I was like, I want a gig. They were like, okay, well, we need to book you. And I did the same thing. I sang a couple of songs for them and and did a did an evening there and uh and was that were you still doing mostly jazz at this point no i started writing more then so right. i was coming away from the jazz yeah so you're doing your own things yeah what was the influence of the jazz was it a personal thing was there someone in your family that just played a lot of jazz or did it come from somewhere else i'd say my dad yeah 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 nice. we always my dad has great taste in music and we always listened to a lot of jazz growing up um it's great music yeah it's it very was. expressive it's very emotive it is and it's um it it can convey a lot in yeah. um it's very get up and go isn't it as well someone told me about yeah. some very good jazz clubs in new york city mm. bluebirds i think it was i feel yes. like every every city in the world there's a jazz club called bluebirds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of a thing all right so you're 17 you get your first gig it was it ronnie's uh, I was 18 here now, I went 18, to London, so, yeah. did a gig at Ronnie Scott, which Ronnie was Scott's, amazing, yeah. and Jazz After Dark um, in Soho too, and uh, just started gigging. I gigged every single night, and then I just did not stop. I okay. just 
yeah and was this were you living good living healthy at this point because i know there was a, a a kind of a some bad habits that started yeah. playing out here you know let's <laughs> make no bones about it you started drinking pretty heavily right yeah well you know mm-hmm. i was on a scene where it's funny in london i was doing these gigs every night and i started on on the mayfair scene in, in london as well i was singing in all the casinos every single cigar room in london and I loved it. I mean, it was very glamorous. Then things started getting like a glamorous lifestyle. I'd put my little dresses on. I'd be singing in these cigar rooms, you know, for all these gentlemen every night. And I loved it. I had a lot of fun, um, but I burnt myself out. I mean, I, I, I used to drink a lot of champagne. I sound like a real diva, but champagne was my favorite drink. I just always had this. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like kind of <laughs> when I say it, I'm like, oh yeah, I only drink champagne. It's, it makes me sound like, all right. Well, no, I think if you're going to drink, you might as well drink nice stuff. Yeah. You know, if you have the option, if the ability is there. Yeah. But um, there's then also, so you were basically a product of the environment, would you say? I, I, was, I was just, I started... I started drinking before my shows. I started drinking a lot of wine at my shows. Um, then I would drink after my shows. I wouldn't describe it as I had like a problem. Um, however, I would say I think I had potential. <laughs> yeah. That's how I describe it. I didn't have a problem, but I definitely have potential to have a problem. Mm. Um, and I was very aware of it. Um, drinking for me as well. Unfortunately, it, it became, um, I'm nearly three years sober now in November. And drinking for me became a crutch. I have actually, and still have it now, although people might not believe it, I had, I suffered from social anxiety. So I used to use drink as my best friend for all of these situations. Yeah. yeah well, and it's one thing alcohol is very good for is um, lowering anxiety. And, it is. You know, as they call it, the social lubricant, the social oil. Yes. It's very good for those things. And would you say it was something that you used to calm your nerves before performing? always yeah how did that affect your performances you know if you were using and the reason I asked that is because <clears throat> if you were using the alcohol as the so- social lubricant as the anxiety easer as the you know the conversation starter as mm. it were and to reduce those nerves before the performance yeah how did those did you notice like a big difference in that before the shows and then the performances after you stopped drinking I do I remember the first show I did without the drink and I was petrified I'm going to be honest. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this without drink. Um, I got told after the show that it was the best show I ever did. Brilliant. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was really happy to hear that. And I walked off and I was like, and I, I remember feeling it myself too. I felt, yes, I can do this. I can do this without the drink. This is going to be my life moving forward. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm about to embark on a lot more pressure. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to learn how to rewire my brain to know that I can do life and performing and social situations because it got to a point where even I, I became very shy and I actually well you remember at school we were saying this is that yeah. I was actually very shy at school you were yeah <laughs> so was I no, no yeah. I <laughs> but I was so shy at school and it's funny like the drink helped me as I went into my adult life I think drinking helped me with that right because when I do look back now and actually when I look back at my school life, I was so quiet and so shy and such a nervous kid. I was such a nervous child. And then and then I I went into the music business and I went into being an adult and I moved to London. I moved, you know, and I kind of... They helped to bring you out your shell. 
It really does. And maybe that's where it just served its purpose and it served that purpose. It got you out into the world. It got you in the arena. It got you on the circuit. And then your body was like, hey, it's done its job here. Mm. Gives you the pancreatitis, gives you the pain. It's like alarm bell. Yes. And you took that signal and, yeah. and, you, and you did what your body wanted you to do, which was stop. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, I commend you for that because a lot of people wouldn't have, you know, and then that's where the overuse dependency addiction yeah. kind of cycle can start to happen. So Absolutely. So then we're, so you, you've stopped your drinking, you've just had what was, what's been told to you by people around you, the best gig ever. Yeah. You know, you're on top of the world at this point. You're still in London. At what point does America come onto the radar? And is that something that gets delivered to you by someone else or is it just something, a feeling that comes from within you? So I remember the night I made the decision. I was singing in a casino in Mayfair, London, and I was burning myself out. I remember I remember my mum was at this gig. She'd come up from Cornwall, and she, she'd watched the whole show, and I was just burning myself out with just the lifestyle that I was living. And I got home that night, and I said to my mum, I'm going to take the deposit on my apartment. I had this little room in London. I'm going to take the deposit and I'm going to go to America for a couple of months. And I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm just going to take some time out just to breathe and to reset. And in my head, I wanted to get a deal. I wanted to get a deal out here. I said, that is what I'm going to do. Did you tell everyone else that or you just no, get it to yourself? No, I didn't say it. I told my mom, but I didn't. And I told my dad and my family, but um, I just went. Within one week, I just took my deposit and I just left and I went. And I landed here in New York City. I'd never been to America. I landed here, I say, I had, a, I had my guitar and it had a suitcase full of songs because I had, I had songs at that point that I'd been writing. And, um, and that's where that part began, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Did you and so then what was the process of getting the gigs because for me I can align with this going to a new country starting again we, we talked about this briefly the other day you really do start again you know in, in a in a certain way you know you may have some friends and connections there but in the professional capacity yeah and and I found that when I've moved to different parts of the world so was that something you had to do kind of start again or you had contacts that got you into things? I didn't. I had no I had no um no contacts in the industry at all. At all? I bought this oh. book called um Music Week Directory that I really recommend to artists. It's called Music Week Directory and it has or like has um executives like contact details so you can send out emails. I'd send out I must have sent out in my musical career time, I'm not kidding. I would I would say I've sent out no jokes, I've probably sent off like 5,000, 10,000 emails just trying to, just trying to get through doors, knocking on doors. Yeah. I did crazy stuff to try and get through doors. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and I would just, I just kept doing that. And you only, and the thing that always kept me going, you only need one door. One door to open to get that deal. One door. I had so many doors slammed in my face, like, no, 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 no. But um, one door. And that happened. And, uh, and that door is my whole team now and my whole my, my label now my publishers and I'm very very fortunate I have a wonderful team wonderful label wonderful publishers mm. and we are you know we're like a family yeah we're on I, this journey they've been on me you know with me for this long time I know and we'll get into the journey of of how that came about with the label with the sleeping in the office yes with how I know the drink you know hadn't completely stopped then it was still around yeah um but before you get into that you said something there that's 
when one door opens and that's all you need and yeah. then it becomes you know perpetual and it one thing leads to another mm. how much of that do you think depends on your own belief in yourself and your vision and your goal of where you want to get to and how much do you think is just kind of luck and serendipity i think a lot of it i think most of it comes down to the belief you have in yourself um it's funny i say this is that somehow along the way there was a lot of doors a lot of doors a lot of no's um a lot of rejection which i don't think we actually talk about a lot like how much rejection can really affect you and as, as you get mature and older like it's like wow that rejection starts to really it, it can really affect you mentally um but somehow along this journey I, I managed to always keep a belief and I, I can't quite explain it. I don't, it's like a, a gut thing in my, in, in, my, in my stomach that always felt very strong about that. I'm not confident in other aspects of my life and I happily say it. I'm going to talk about it in my songs. I talk about all sorts of aspects. I would say my confidence is low in, in other parts of my life, my, my personal life and just the way I can be. I just, that's, that's a whole other conversation, but... Hmm. The one thing that I, I'm proud of saying is that I always had this belief that I could do this. I also had this belief that I would absolutely never stop until I've done it. I will, like, I will say now, I will not stop until, I am, until I've done this. I will not stop. I will not stop until I am, there, there, is, no, there is just no stopping. What's, it, what's, what's this? Yeah, that's a good question. I thought you were going to say that. Until I feel like my music is out there and that I, I feel like, I've made all this music, I've made this album. And it's like, you've, you, it's funny, you look at like, like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, when will, I, when will I be like content? And I'm like, I actually ask myself the same question because I think we're all, we spoke about this, we're always changing, yeah. like the goalposts keep changing. So it's like, well, when will I be content? Like, I'm now putting my album out. I know I'm, I'm still like, no, 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 no. I'm still, still going. But I feel, I, I really don't know the answer actually to that question because I don't know if I, I think we have this wiring in our brains that maybe we're, are we ever, do you know, do you know what I mean? Even then, it's something I've got to work on, I think. It's, it's a really interesting like dual thing. It's like two sides of the same coin. You're like, um, I've arrived, I've got there mm. and that's great and, and take some time to, to savour that. Mm. But then just, of course, like just keep going at the same time as yes. well. Um, and I think that, uh, it's good to savour those moments, but it's also good to enjoy the journey. But it I, I, for, for me, like everything happens twice, going to go in a bit philosophical here, but um, it's, it does happen twice. Everything around us, this microphone I'm talking into, this table, um, everything that you look at, this chair I'm sat on, has happened twice. It happened once in someone's mind with the thought first, mm -hmm. and then it manifested through thoughts and actions into... The real world so true so it's like for me you know if you're a goal-setting individual like i know you are mm. when you've achieved that goal i get this thing sometimes where it's like it's i'm so glad i got here but i knew it was always going to happen because i'd seen it that many times mm. it was just like i watched now i've watched the movie play out in front of me yes yeah, and yeah. then sometimes i found in that that you can lack um gratefulness that it's happened yes Do you know because oh you don't yeah. take any time to actually savour it and think, mm -hmm. especially when you're living in a city like New York and everything happens at a million miles an hour or any yeah. other big city around the world. So I think it's you got to find yourself within that yeah. somewhere, somewhere between really grateful for everything that's happening around me yes. and but yeah. keep moving on to the next goal. And I think that's how things like gratitude lists and taking time to write yeah. down your thoughts or just have some quiet time for yourself each day. Yeah. is really really beneficial 
I think it is important. I've started doing these gratitude lists now, which I do um, have them all over my walls, actually my apartment. And they do help because I think if you can take that approach with it, then it's like when you look at your, when you look back to 10 years ago or something, or you look back to five years ago and you look, well, if I imagine now that I'd be doing this, okay, well, I'd be like so content, but somehow like, I think just goalposts always keep changing. So you're always going to be like, no, I need the next best thing. I need the, and I think with myself is I always want to be, <laughs> I am my own worst critic for this not my own worst critic, my own worst enemy, mm. is that like, I feel like I have to be, I'm quite a perfectionist, I have to be the best at everything. And that's, sometimes can be torture. I think a lot of creative, creatives are, we all are like, you have to, I just have to be, I have to be doing my best. I have to know that, that, that I'm in the best absolute possible place for this to happen. And it's good, it's very, very good, because that's why, that's why this will happen. That's absolutely why I need to keep that mindset. But I also have to be, I think a bit gentler, gentler, to my mind in a way and be like okay let's just let's just wow let's just think about actually what's going on this is yeah, yeah. well yeah the the biggest enemy you'll ever meet in your life is yourself absolutely so yeah. i think it's it always pays you dividends to be your own best friend mm -hmm. and you know that advice we often give to others heed it for ourselves yeah because we often don't you know like no. you can get oh, i'm the best i'm the best listener you know but how, how often do you listen to yourself how mm -hmm. often do you listen to your own your mm -hmm. own body your own mind um I think something you said there, like you said, when we're younger, and, and I get it, we talked about this as well um, when we were at dinner the other day, that was when you're, you look, I, I look at things now and I'm like, ah, oh, there was a time like a year ago or six months ago or three years ago, 10 years ago, like I dreamed of the, the things, these mm -hmm. things that I'd have now and the goals that I got to now. And um, so one day you get it and the penny just drops, you're like, I'm here. You know, I've arrived, but yeah. I think then as you grow, the vision grows, yes. and it all expands. Yeah. Um, but I think that that can go both ways. Absolutely. You know, that that whole chunk of the last ten minutes of what we talked about is very positive and being driven and going towards mm. your things, but it can, it's it's a cycle up or yeah. it's a cycle down. Oh yeah, it can go. And either it's way. it's like that's what it is. Thoughts become things. Yes. Yeah. You know, negative thoughts predicate negative actions which predicate more negative thoughts and the cycle continues yeah but the positive is so just the same upwards you know so yeah now let's go into um new york because i know and you're not the first person i know who's an artist who's lived in the same space that they've been creating in yes <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about please about that so um this is this is how I got my record deal too, and how I also wrote my album. So it all kind of links into the the next chapter of of the journey. Um, I went to Nashville, Music City, that I love. Great city. Yes, I'm a huge fan of Nashville. It always feels very much like home to me there. We are home. Um, so I went to Nashville. I turned up and didn't really know a lot of people there. Didn't know many people there, and I the hotels were crazy expensive it was like in the I think it was in the summertime um and I turned up and I went and had a meeting with my publishers um who were in Nashville and I was just in a like in a meeting talking about songs and stuff and then the guy gave me a key card for the building and this is like the the offices are like this beautiful just a beautiful brand new building that they just that they just made and he gave me a key card and said uh, you can write here from nine till five mm-hmm so I was like, wow, that's great. Okay, so I'll go in, I can write songs. Well, I don't write in the day much. I always write at night. So I didn't have anywhere to go. And I remember that night, I was like, wow, 
hotels lot. I haven't got anywhere to go. I, all I had was that, that one case still, my guitar. And <laughs> I was like, here we go again. I'm hovering around, hovering around. I was like, this key card, I wonder if this works 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I go try it out. It does. I find out and I confirmed it. It's a 24 hour access key card. This building is beautiful. I mean, I was like, I could live here. So I know that all the executives and everyone leaves at about five o'clock. That building is, is empty. So, so I made a decision that I was going to quietly move in to their offices. Quietly. Quietly. Nobody <laughs> knew. And I did. So I moved in. I remember the first night there and it was a huge building. I was frightened, I was scared, but I was drinking at the time. I had my best friend drink, so I was, <laughs> I'd find all the alcohol in, in the executive's offices. I'd go in, I'd find the wine and I'd crack open a bottle of wine and I'd get through it. Uh, they didn't know? They didn't know. How long? Um, I did, I lasted about, I think it was about 10 days, I think it was. Maybe oh, okay. Less, yeah, maybe a bit less than that, about 10 days. So. And then, yeah, and then you told me they found out, right? Yeah, I got caught on camera, yeah. yeah caught, caught candy camera. I'm not, I'm not bloody surprised, to be honest. Yeah, they said there was activity at three in the morning. I was like, oh, I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. I was like, I was drinking. What was I doing at three in the morning? I was like, oh, right. So they, what happened is, is I would, I would basically, I would leave the offices. Right. At, uh, no, so I would leave very early in the morning. So right. I, would, I was sleeping there. I was sleeping on every single sofa in that office. I tried right. out every single one. Um, I found the one that I liked and I made that my bed. Um, and basically what I did is in the morning when the, all the, the executives will come in, I would sneak out. So I would sneak out at 7 a.m. so that they wouldn't see me in the book because they'd be like, who's this girl? Like, what is she doing? Yeah. You know, just walking around just in my pajamas. Um, so what I did is I would sneak out, I'd hang around Nashville all day and then go back at about 6 p.m. at night when they'd all left. And then I'd start writing. Um, I did not stop writing. I just wrote my way through it. I would, you know, open up a bottle of wine. I would just turn off all the lights and I'd stay up all night. And then I would have a couple of hours sleep and then leave again the next morning. Um, and then, unfortunately, yeah, I got, I got caught on camera and I had to, an email was generated around saying that I had to give the key card back. Got you. And, and so they'd already given you the deal at this point? No. No? No. So that was so the next it, part. Okay. Yeah, all right. so then... I had to leave the building. I then call up the president of, of the label. Right. And uh, I call him up and I say, hey, I need, I'll need to meet you. I said, uh-huh. I don't know if you know who I am, but uh-huh. I have this. I said, I've wrote an album. Mm. So I went and saw him. He said, yeah, yeah, come, meet, come, by, come by the office. So at that point, I was like on my last day at the office, I think, staying there. And I walk into, it was like literally upstairs because there was lots of different floors. And I walk in, he was like, so tell me about yourself. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm Jessica. He was like, and where do you live? I was like, here, <laughs> downstairs, me. <mate." laughs> he was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I said, look, the important thing is I haven't stopped writing. Right. I have wrote an album that I'm very proud of. Yeah. I wrote it 100% myself. I produced it. Um, I learned how to produce in that time. Um, I produced it with, when we came to make the album, we brought in um, Kyle Kelso, uh, we produced it together and he brought so much magic to this record. It really brought it alive. But I told uh, the guy at the meeting at the time, I said, hey, I said, I just wrote this album, I produced it and I need you to hear it. And he heard it and he signed me. So it all became subsidiary. Yeah. None of it mattered. Do you, and, and none of it does matter. But do you think um, the 
the content of the album would have been the same if that hadn't have been the process uh what do you mean if i hadn't so so what i'm saying is would the actual the things that you were writing about mm. the actual oh, substance the subjects, yeah. yeah the subjects the substance of them do you think that would have been the same or do you think it would have been slightly different if you'd just gone a maybe a more regular route like they give yeah. you the I have no idea how this works. I, I guess they you give mean. you a house, they give you a hotel, yeah. and like, here's your creative space, go. No, I think I write better when my back's up against the wall. Huh. I'm one of those Isn't writers. Interesting? Yeah. yeah. When my back's up against the wall and I'm under pressure mm -hmm. and I'm feeling unsettled or somewhat troubled, and I described that time as it was a turbulent time for me. There was a few things that had gone on um, during that time that I just had unsettled me and... Um, I was struggling I was that's when I was drinking probably too much as well and I basically I know I know in those moments that my therapy my healing is to write and mm -hmm. if ever I have you know when I have these those feelings now that I did then I just know I'm like okay I just got to write got to write my way through this and that, that that's I think that's how that I was also feeling very and I say this a lot. I think something that we all struggle with is loneliness. And yeah. I've always struggled with that feeling. And the, do you think the alcohol helped with that? Yeah, I guess it did because it made me more sociable to actually go out and talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm quite shy. So I'm, I'm my, again, my own worst enemy. I'm kind of lonely, but sometimes that's just because I just choose to be like this. Do you think it, it can help with it in that sense? But then... You know, it probably makes you. Feel, I would, in my experience, it makes you feel more lonely then, because mm. you know you're hungover on your own. Exactly. <laughs> it's you're like hungover yeah, on your own, it, which is probably the worst hangover. Yeah. You're hungover on your own, or you make sometimes, you know, you, you're not always. Don't make the best decision. You don't. I have never made a best decision, a good decision after probably 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. whilst having alcohol in my system, and um, if anyone has, then. Uh, Please let me know your secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the deal so they were, you were like right I've, this is what I've done, you know. Mm. So they wanted um, to see what you'd produced in that time. How many tracks did you make? Fourteen. Fourteen in yeah. ten days. Um, no, I actually there was a couple that weren't written in that time. Right. They actually, I, I still carried on writing. Got added on after. A lot of it was written in that time, but some of it I, when I left. I ended up actually then living in Nashville and getting an apartment right. and then I carried on and we then made the record. So Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And that record is The World Ain't Ready, which yes. is out September first. Yeah, World Ain't Ready. Mm-hmm. Everything I've heard I love. Thank you. So, yeah. I think uh we'll we'll get into a bit more release date stuff a little bit later, but so you so you then stayed in Nashville for the rest of that creative process? Yeah. At what point did you come to New York? Um, well, actually, it was after COVID because when COVID happened, I ended up going back to England. Oh, so this was all pre-COVID? This was pre-COVID, yeah. And then just as COVID was happening, and then I went back to England and um, I was in England for about a year. I had an amazing year. I wrote again. I carried on writing and I spent time with my family. I moved back in with my mom and my family. And Brilliant just absorb that time yeah because that's one thing that i really lack here is i don't i don't have any family in america or you know it's that's i think that's probably my biggest daily struggle um so yeah. i i was like a child going back just 
you know, I moved back in with my mum and just, it was incredible. I think for a lot of us, we did that. Yeah, I fully get that. Mm. I mean, it was different for me. I was, I was stuck where I was in, in Melbourne. But, oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Like the most lockdown city in the world. Oh, God, it 263 was, days. Hella lockdown. Not in one go, but it was like, oh, we're going to go in lockdown for a week oh. and then you'll be in for two months. And they had curfews and stuff as well. It was really hard. Yeah, it, yeah, it was it was in, it was incredibly difficult. Probably yeah. the most difficult time of, of yeah. my life. Throw a breakup in the mix and oh. yeah, it got um, got pretty interesting. That's tough. Pretty interesting. But like you say, I had then had this um, like uh, like certain Coldfield Renaissance. Like this, you know, mm-hmm. this, you go back home and it's like you almost connect with your family. So yeah. I remember actually at Christmas, I went back after being stuck there for two years a few days before Christmas and we had like Christmas dinner and stuff and I called my sister upstairs because I'd bought her something nice and I'd had it for a long time that I was meant to be giving it to her and I just wanted it to be this moment between me and her when I gave it to her and it just like burst into and my mum was there I was burst into tears I was like it's fine they're happy tears you know it's just like the relief of being back here and it wasn't until really I suppose that sometimes you don't realise how much it affects you until you kind of through it you know yeah. and you've got to go through it to grow through it at the same time Absolutely. but i think what i was trying to get at there was that like the return home and you kind of connect to all these places that you're at when you were a child and yeah. in some ways you you rewind the hands of time and you feel a bit like a child and mm-hmm. it was i guess for you there you know it's a quiet time yeah were you still being creative were you still writing when you were home i did yeah i just carried on writing we were we were lucky we stayed like um, in this little cottage um, on the like on the the on the sea like on the beach and it was so nice and I would just write I just we had a lot of it was a very it was a very unnerving time wasn't it obviously with everything that was yeah. going on um, but like you said it was a time where I think we we really I made the most of that precious time with my family mm. um, I ended up spending a whole year and then and then I went back to came back to the states which when I came back to New York. Yeah, yeah. And, and the writing and the creative process for you. I know you, I've I've heard you say, if it takes you more than seven minutes, mm. you know it's not worth it. You kind of move on. Yeah. Is that always been the case for you? Mm. Yeah. There's something uh, I've actually done a bit of research on this because I'm I'm intrigued. But I, when I sit down to write a song, I'll know within the first. Like I think, okay, I'm gonna try and write a song. I know within the first couple of minutes whether I can or not, and I'm like, I just can't. Just not in the right mode. Yeah, I just, I just, I would just know. I am, and I, and I, I don't write fiction. I only write the truth. I only document the truth. Everything I write is, and sometimes that's quite hard to say because <laughs> some of my songs are of a. I'm like, I would love to say that's not about me, but they are all about <laughs> me. I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, yeah, the, you know, I have to own that. Um, yeah. I only write from like personal experiences and I've tried writing about other things. I just can't do it. I, I cannot do it. And that's really tough sometimes because then that can give me writer's block because if I don't have a subject to write about or I don't have anything, I'm like, well, what am I going to write about? And this is, that, that can be a problem, but I, it's definitely. It could be a problem, but it also means that you've got to keep having experiences, yes. it? which is great because it <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah I need to find yeah I need to find uh, find I'm always thinking that I'm like where can I find some material right well my look I need something something to write about but and the thing is with me is I am the kind of writer who as we said earlier I write my best when I'm turbulent when I'm feeling unsettled 
if I'm feeling too happy, I can't really write much. <laughs> so, do you write all by yourself or mostly. with others? Yeah, I wrote my whole album 100%. That's I do a, do co-writes as well, which yeah. which helps me, especially when I'm having maybe like writer's block. Um, yeah. That opens up some other ideas, but I prefer writing by myself. But you're open to writing with other people? Yes. Because I want to write a song with you. Let's do it. Let's do it. I would definitely write a song with yeah, you. Yeah, I'd love to do it. I've never written a song before. We I'd just like definitely. to see how it's done. Yeah, we'll write a song. Mental health is a big topic on this podcast. It's one I like to go into more and more um, because it's so valuable for people and I just feel like there's the, the reason I do this is to help others. And um, I think opening up these conversations is a very important thing to do. Mm-hmm. I agree. We've, we've touched on it in a, in a number of ways there with, with the loneliness, with the overuse of alcohol, with the, you know, the start again and yeah. the um, kind of lack of uh, the bad environments and the you know not always having great people around you which is a great a really important thing <clears throat> now I know um, there's many different ways of of dealing with poor mental health with depression with loneliness with anxiety <clears throat> I know the tools that, that work for me and a great one has been therapy and I always like say it's it's not for everyone but you know give it a try what's the worst that can happen I, I kind of frame it particularly to young men on mm-hmm. on this show as the 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 gym for your brain yeah you know and i think it's just it's part such a of, good way of putting it yeah <clears throat> i think it it's real and it works and i think that it's just part of being even if you don't think you've got anything particularly wrong with you it could be very interesting and very enlightening for you to have a therapy mm. session and then it's just part of being a healthy adult and i think it helps you to be the best version of yourself yes when you're the best version of yourself the people around you get the best version of you yeah and then that helps Yes. Just it's perpetual, right? It helps everything around you be it better. Does. It helps the world be a better place. And it really helps you just dive into everything, doesn't it? It kind of opens up things that we don't always do by ourselves. We just mm. don't do that sometimes. No. I don't. You can't see, as I said to you that I've been watching baseball, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. Yes, right? I love that. So you need wow. someone to remove you out of the gallery and, yeah. and give you a, a different and a bigger perspective. Mm-hmm. Is What kind of tools have you used to help you with, pull you out of kind of sad and bad times because we all have them we sure do um for me it used to be my tool was obviously the the drink that um mm. and you know i know i gave up um but that was always a tool i think that always makes us feel a little bit kind of <laughs> it makes us feel a little bit better when when we're down but now that's gone my tools now are so i've become very very much into manifesting and affirmations yeah i'm a huge believer in this only recently in the last, I would say in the last, uh, maybe in the last year have I really got into this. I'm all about writing it down. So for example, I think I told you this actually two mornings ago, I had the day that I saw you actually, not that you created this thing, so <laughs> this sounds bad, but you know when I had lunch with you and, we went, and I said I had, yes. that morning I woke up and I was really struggling with anxiety. My heart was racing, I had palpitations, I was like, and then it starts to come up physically, you know, when you're mentally feeling like that. And I couldn't work out why. I just was like, I'm just anxious. I was twitching. I could feel it. I just felt not good. Went for a walk and I couldn't shake it off. And I was like, okay, what, what am I going to do here? So I started doing my affirmations and my manifesting and I just put on some music and I started writing everything down about what I'm, what I'm wanting to happen, what I'm aiming to happen. Um, and 
it helped me so much just that that was my and and I do I really believe that and it's hard to do you have to really really practice to get to this point but manifesting works I'm all about it I'm all about this and now I'm you know we can get lazy with it as well like there's some mornings where I'm like oh I forgot to do it and I notice that I have a different kind mm. of day when I don't do it mm -hmm. so now I'm I'm really trying to dedicate morning and night to doing this and it changed it changes your day it does I mean the what you I think what you do in the first 15 to 20 minutes when you wake up controls the spirit of you know Totally That's and like a great example of that is you know you, you bang some Madonna on in the shower in the yeah. morning you're on a great day <laughs> yes. you know That's you get so you get some like Luther Vandross banging in the morning there so it's, everything's going to be great yes. everything's going to be fine and I think that there's some science behind that <laughs> not that I'm much of a scientist but there's something like your brain is operating at a higher frequency or something in the morning so you're more susceptible yeah. to what you hear and I think that's that's why it's a good time to listen to positive messages or write down positive messages and, and read stuff at that time. Yeah. You know, rather than I, just like get a, get a head start on the day before it gets a head start on you. I love that. And mm. I couldn't agree more because I used to, all my anxiety was always at like 5 a.m. in the morning, always 5 a.m. I don't know what it was. I would mm. wake up on the dot at 5 a.m. and feel this, like I was, I was just scared. I just used to feel it. I've felt it pretty much all my adult life. Where I just I wake up at five and I feel very frightened of stuff. I don't know what it is of just everything. And I think now I, I really believe this is like you said, those first 10, 15 minutes. Now I'm like, when that happens, I get up and I'm like, this is going to be an amazing day. This is, this is going to happen. I know that this is going to happen today. This is, I'm going to have great news today. And it changes my whole day. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely big believer that, in that's, it. That's something I write often at the bottom of my gratitude or journals is like something great things happen for me. Cause, yeah. You know, we said this, like great things happen for me, something great is on the way. But when you adjust your mindset to things happen for me, yeah. not to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then it just it just gets better. It really you know, does. It, it, and it can be hard, whether it's a minute, five minutes, ten minutes, a year, to like be like, well, why did that happen for me? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. But they always do. Yeah. They always do. It can take a while to figure them out, but that makes you more grateful for that. And I also think that when you focus on the things that you're grateful for, it brings more of those things your way yeah. rather than just being like, life yeah. shit, this is bad, yeah. that's bad. You yeah. know, it's like, it's raining. Well, that's bad, but... Yeah. You know, makes the grass grow. It's good for ducks. It's so true. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't be rain without sunshine. It's like the yin yang, like the dark. It's one it's has true. to exist for the other to be there as well. Yeah. Gratitude is very important. That's uh, that's another thing I'm learning with the manifesting and the affirmations is the gratitude part is mm. is real key. Yeah. That's things within self So to, to, for these tools. But um, it, it'd be good to talk about the therapy end because I know yeah. we had... Um, I've had quite a different... I, I mean, I've never fell in love with any of my therapists <laughs> yet. I'm still... I feel like I might be kind of looking forward to that. Might be... Might be might be fun. But you did. Well, everyone says I fell in <laughs> love with him. I tried to seduce him. Okay. <laughs> I don't I, know what's better. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're the same. They're definitely not the same thing, actually, in my experience either. Trying to seduce someone doesn't I mean that you so fell in love with them. I've got so many songs from him. No, I mean, that's the thing. People are like, did you fall in love with them? I lasted five sessions with him. Mm. Five sessions. So what happened yeah, is... Yeah. is I was like, okay, so I have OCD. Mm -hmm. um, I have it quite bad at times. Yeah. And at the moment, actually, touch wood three times. 
that's my OCD, but three times. But um, I, yeah, I, my OCD can be, can be pretty bad. So at one point last year, it got, actually the year before, it just, it just wasn't great. So I went to therapy and um, found this wonderful therapist. And he, I will say this, was very professional and very wonderful. And there was nothing on his side. So I will say that it was all from me and my issues. But I remember he was a mature man and he was very, he was very nice. Uh, he was older and I I, I kind of knew when I went into the first session, I thought, oh. Excuse me. I thought, I think no. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Cody's giving me bubbles. Sorry, it's, <laughs> it's It's some other brand. <laughs> Sorry, Jess, I really messed you up. Before that. No, don't worry, you're fine. <laughs> he was a mature man, you were he saying. He was a mature mm-hmm. man. He was a nice older man. I was here in New York, so I'd sit in and walk in. And the first time I met him, I was like, huh. <laughs> huh. <laughs> and I just. Seen that look before. I, yeah, I was kind of like, huh. I was sitting opposite, it was making notes, and I was like, you know, and they'd say things to tell me about, you know, tell me about your, your you know, what's your issues with, sort of OCD, and then we'd talk about men and stuff, and how we just was going through all these things, and I was thinking, huh. <laughs> Five sessions went on, the second session I timed up. And I was like, oh, this is, I was looking forward to therapy, not because I was going through my issues, but because I really wanted to see this man. It was so funny. Right. And I was aware of it. I was like, what am yeah. I doing? Like, this is not good. No. Third session in, I turned up, I'd have like a little like red summer's dress on and little red heels. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Do, do you think he knew what was going on? Yes. I think yeah, he knew. I thought would think so. You would think so. Yeah. I think it was very obvious. And, and by the end, so it went on, I could tell. Because he was saying things like, oh, you look very, like, um, dressed up today, Jessica. Like, right. And I was like, oh, I've got a meeting afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. It was all fair. Yeah. <laughs> so was it, was it sex or companionship you were looking for? That's a really good question. Because actually I said to him at the end, um, this is how it all came out. And I, I will answer that. And this is, well, I'll let you answer what you think. But this is what happened. I... I sat with somebody on my team actually and I said, I said, hey, I said, you're not gonna believe this. I said, I think my therapist is wonderful. He listens to me every week. He's kind. He gives me so much attention when I sit with him. I said, and he's just always there every single week and I'm like by myself. And he's just, he gives me this sense of like security. I said, wow. And then he looked at me, my friend, and he went, yeah. Because like you're paying him every week to give to do these things. Mm-hmm. He's listening to you because you're paying him. Like, I was paying him a, a, a lot of money every week. Right. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, this, is, this is different. So I went back to him on the fifth session. And I said, you know, I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about how, how I'm feeling about this. And it was very obvious what was happening. It's a, it's a real thing. I got told it was called transference. It happens between a patient and a therapist and it had to be quickly i needed he, he advised me to go to a woman therapist right that makes now. sense i think it was well. i told him i said you know you can't buy i think i was literally trying to buy some company i think i i was really lonely and i think i was yeah. a bit and like i said I, I always seem to suffer from this this feeling of loneliness i can't seem to escape it even when i'm shouldn't be feeling lonely i just feel it i just can't seem to s- break away maybe you just need to find yourself a man yeah maybe that's exactly what i probably need to do probably cure it (laughs) no it would cure i mean and like yeah the way i would think about that is like well if there was ever a time when you didn't feel alone no what was the difference yeah i mean that'd be the best answer just find a man and then i'm not gonna feel and not go after my therapist right no (laughs) no so 
So then you never, you, did you find a female therapist or? No, I just stopped therapy. Honestly, I was like, it's, um, it's cheaper and I, I'm better writing about all this stuff. I just keep writing. So you just went back into the therapy being the writing? Yeah, just and myself. For you? Yeah, it works because I need album two. So I don't want to get too fixed, you know, because then I'm, then I'm screwed for album two. I'm yeah. about to start focusing on album two and like my, gathering my songs together. You know, I need to think about that. Not yet, actually, we're, we're promoting album one. But when I do, I'm like, I just, the therapy, the therapy, I actually do need therapy. I'm, I know, I know I do. Mm. I know I do because of my OCD mainly. Mm. Um, but right now I'm just, I just, I, writing helps me the most. So I just do that. I know where you're doing, you don't want to go. And mm. that's, that's one for maybe, um, maybe that's one for the second podcast. Who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> The word hustle, the word hustle is a is a big feature of this podcast. Yeah, I mean we're in arguably probably the city with the most hustle in the world, mm. New York City. How do you define that word hustle? What does it mean to you? Hustle. It's actually one of my favourite words. Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely one of my favourite words, and I've I've done a lot of hustling. <laughs> I've done a mm. lot of hustling. <laughs> yeah, making them thousands of phone calls. Oh yeah, doors slammed. I must have sent ten thousand emails. I've, I have done all sorts of silly stuff to try and um, just to get this thing, this show on the road. But I think it's all about hustling. To me, means it's like a, it's like you're in a boxing ring and you just you just keep going, you just keep fighting. You know, you get down, you get back up again. And I always think, and I actually thank all those doors that were slammed every single one of them i really believe this that makes you stronger because it makes you want to even like prove even more like i have to be i can't be in bed like being i can't bear being told no i hate it so because my the nature of my character mm. i'm like oh okay now i need to do even better i have to win i have to win i have to win and it can torture me to be honest i mean it makes me literally unhappy my head can make me terribly unhappy because I have this battle every single day that I have to be the best. I have to win. I am petrified of failing. But wait a minute, you are winning. Thank you. This is what I need to remind myself every day because I, I have this like consuming, this fear that cripples me. So I have to Fuck your fears. It. Fuck your fears, exactly. Fuck your fears. And that's what the song is about. A lot of it is about, you know, being scared about mm -hmm. failing. But sometimes mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm literally just... It's, I'm, I'm doing better at it now. Like I'm really, I will not put that out to the universe anyway. I will not. I know I just said it then, but I'm not putting it out there. I'm just kind of expressing how I have been. But I think the hustle thing is when you're in that hustling mode, I'm better anyway because I'm in tough mode rather mm -hmm. than, rather than. And I guess you might have kind of answered it there, but maybe to answer it in a more linear way, what drives your hunger for the hustle? I like to ask everyone that. Yeah, I'm like going to rephrase it. What drives your Hunger for the hustle, Jessica. Being told no. Every yeah. no takes you closer to a yes, oh, though, yeah. right? So I you know that and you keep going into it? I think if I and if I'd been told no, I think what keeps me going, that hunger is for them. I, I, I describe my my songs as my babies. They are they are them and I, I work just for them. It's just like, I'm like, oh, they have to have their glory. And, and for me, I feel very responsible for them. I feel very responsible for my babies, for my songs, and I would do anything I have to do to make sure this happens, anything. And, um, and I think having the rejection in the past, a lot of, as we do as, as artists, when you're on that 
creative journey has just made me be like no i have to win for them so then actually if what you've just said is true then ocd is your superpower because you create the songs and then you feel responsible for them and that responsibility helps you nurture them and bring them on and make them even better so stand in your power girl that's incredible no one's ever described it like that just observation ocd is actually my superpower do you want to be my therapist (laughs) Uh, we're gonna try seduce you (laughs) maybe that's an off-camera discussion (laughs) move on (laughs) what What do you think um (laughs) he didn't say yes he didn't say no (laughs) yeah i did you're right you're right (laughs) what um if (laughs) if you walked up to you Mm. in the street let's go five years ago yeah and you said to you like how 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 this is what i want to do how do i do it how do i get into it you know think of anyone around the world that's listening to this at any point in the in the future because you know it's on the internet it's there forever yeah so uh, yeah let's give some advice to the young people in the world who want to get particularly the girls out there who want to get into the music industry i would say the first one is just stay true to who you are because it's very very easy to 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 not actually um just really stay true because only you know like i it's taken me some time but i am i've become quite now i'm confident in who i am as an artist and my music and and everything about that makes up about um me as an artist is jessica and i think you just have to stay true to that it's so important be authentic and just be unapologetically you second thing i would say is it's really you have to just keep that kind of gut feeling of belief i think that's that's the most important thing it's it's I know, like we say this lightly, but it really is just that. I think that's it. How can you believe? How can you expect anyone to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? Yeah, it's a bit of an unfair thing to ask, right? Yeah. And in an effort to tie into what you said at the start, which is be yourself, be authentic, mm. to a very closely connected. And I think if you if you keep heading, you can you can not do it. You can kind of pull the wool over for a bit, but then you are going to start feeling anxious. Then you are going to start feeling shitty mm-hmm. because you're not you're not being you're being fake right and it doesn't feel yeah. good you, know, you can, can kind of get away with it for a while but yeah the the tires start to fall off after a bit absolutely you just but, have um, to just keep true to yourself and so yeah keep true to yourself stay authentic yeah believe in yourself yeah anything else let's go on the, every, the magic comes in threes right yeah if that's what it is that's what it is i would say no i would say there's probably more there's probably a lot more actually i would say for the music stuff it's all about the songs it's all about it always comes down always comes down to the songs and to just down to the music and i forget that sometimes as well like now i'm you know i'm busy making like i make i haven't sometimes i haven't always like recently i'm just learning just to really just believe in the songs believe in the music because that's it's always going to come down to that so just believe in the music and like i said i've always spoke about those songs as my babies so just believing in them and working hard for them. I did, like I said, I feel responsible for them. Yeah. I have to I feel very responsible for them. How important do you think? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a stupid question, really, but the hard work's important as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you have to work hard every how, single day. How, how many... This is a bit of a personal question you don't have to answer, but how many hours do you work a day? I just don't feel like a star. 
because I feel yeah, like, no, like that feels. yeah I just don't feel like I stop but mm. mentally mm-hmm. and I believe and I've been told actually by by a therapist that I have an obsession with this I actually did see another therapist after that what happened to the therapist and I wasn't happy with this new therapist because he I understood but he said that I have a, a an obsession with my music he said you are obsessed and it it might not be healthy and I sat there I said I'm not going to argue with you I said I'm totally obsessed. I have been since I set out at 16 years old to do this. I still am now. The obsession's actually getting more. And I can't help that. I can't even rewire that. I don't want to rewire it as well. But if, if you're going to be obsessed with anything, you might as well be obsessed with your passion, right? That's going to exactly. create, create greatness. Yeah, it is. A lot of people never find it. I commend you for it. Thank you. You know, you found your passion. You're moving towards it. You're accelerating. You're making things happen. You're setting goals. You're knocking them down. It's been so good for me and inspiring to come here and spend some time with you oh. and see you do what you're doing thank you I can't wait for the album to drop eight days before my birthday on September 1st I think the world needs to hear these stories that you've packaged into three and four minute segments and they're about you yeah. and they're about the struggles that we all go through through life in different ways and um, I think I think it's you know, you're just getting started. This is album number one. And I look forward to sitting back here with you in two to three years' time when we're on who knows what album. Oh. And you've um, delivered all that value to well because that's what it's about, right? Thank that's you. That's what it's about. This and that's what this so podcast is about. This. The, this podcast is amazing. I mean, this is, this is what I'm all about, all about the hustle and all about positive thinking and actually us reconnecting like this and we're going to end up being best mates now. We're going to stay, yeah, yeah, new besties. Yeah, definitely. And, it's funny how the universe has brought us together to do this because everything you're doing, Jake, I'm I'm all about it. Like you're Thanks. doing, you are you are incredible. Your energy is incredible. So I am I'm so happy we did this. I'll do what I can. I appreciate your kindness you and lot. your support. All right, I think we'll wrap it up there. Shout out to Threshold Studios in New York, Derek and Simon, the legends, the lads legends. here who have set yes. us up. This is yeah, a great spot you if you're ever in New York. I know you use this place a lot. I use this place weekly, Threshold Studios in New York City. Um, this place is amazing. It's yeah. a home for me here because we're, like I said, where I'm making my babies, this is where I am. And uh, these guys are great. This is this is the place to be to make music in. always important to have that creative space and yes. I've really enjoyed using it today um, if people want to find you on socials Jess how will they do that Instagram I am Jessica um, oh sorry no it's that's my website um, it's it's Jessica Music with it's, a K everything is Jessica with a K um, but all over socials is just Jessica yeah and what was the website my website just went live actually a couple of days ago I think it's iamjessica.com iamjessica.com yeah. okay this has been the Hunger for the Hustle podcast, and you have been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Jess. I appreciate you. Thank you to all you folks who have been listening at home and around the world. If you've got some value from this, if you've enjoyed it, if you've liked it, please do me a favor and everyone else a favor and share it, because by doing that, you've done your little bit to help the world. Stay hungry, stay healthy, stay happy, and keep on hustling, folks. Yes.